Uh, and I believe today there's only two forms of marketing that work. Uh, number one is educational marketing, because like I said, people are willing to be educated. And number two, a little bit of buzz marketing, where people communicate excitement about their business, about what's going on, simply to be present in people's minds, but not too much, not in a look at me sort of way, but just to communicate excitement and be present and visible. Welcome to the Thought Leader Revolution with Nikki Ballou. Join the revolution. There's never been a better time in history to speak your truth, find your freedom, and make your fortune. Each week, we interview the world's top thought leaders and learn the secrets of how they built a six to seven figure practice. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice. Welcome to another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. I'm your host, Nikki Ballou. And boy, do we have an amazing guest lined up for you today. Our guest today is a dear friend of mine. He has been a longtime client. He is an absolute leader in the real estate investment thought leadership space, as well as in the actual investment space. This man not only talks about and helps people with real estate investing. He actually invests in real estate at a very high level himself. He is the host of the Real Estate Espresso podcast. He's the best-selling author of The Great Canadian Takeover and Magnetic Capital. I am speaking, of course, of the one, the only, the legendary Victor Minash. Welcome to the show, Victor. Great to be here. It's really an honor to have you here, my friend. Victor, I'm so excited about your new podcast, and I'm excited about all the things that you're doing out there in the marketplace. You uh, were just at the Investor Summit at Sea. You're rubbing shoulders with top thought leaders like Robert Kiyosaki, uh, George Ross. How did you get to do that? How did you get to be Victor Minaj, this world-renowned thought leader in the real estate investment space? Well, thank you. That's very generous. You know, what I've discovered is I really never want to be the smartest guy in the room, but I want to get around other smart people and just build relationships with them. You know, what I discovered early on is that in order to accomplish anything, I need three things. I need, of course, the knowledge and direction. And most people have the knowledge. I mean, if you think about it, most people know exactly what they need to do. The second thing that I need is I need the emotional drive. I'm a fairly ambitious individual, so I've got the emotional drive. But more important than that, I need to overcome whatever emotional obstacles are getting in my way. And then I focus an awful lot of attention on that. And then the third, and this is the most important and what's often overlooked, is I need to immerse myself in the right environment. And if I'm sitting in front of my computer looking to Google for answers, that's probably not the right environment. I need to get around other smart thought leaders and engage in real-life conversation about real-life projects, about real-life situations, and it's only then that I can actually internalize you know, what's important. So it's really putting myself in creating that environment that, that's the key. You know, Victor, that was absolutely brilliant. Being in the right environment really matters. Um, you know, I like to say, hashtag don't do 2018 alone. Far too many people in our industry today, especially with the advent of social media and all this incredible technology, 
are isolated. They don't get out there. They don't meet other smart people. And as a result, their impact and their income is stunted. Absolutely. You know, social media is about filling in the gaps between in offline conversations. And that's the real value. If all you do is you sit there and communicate with people on Facebook, uh, it's completely irrelevant. It's not real. It's in the virtual world. It's not in the real world. But where it, where it can add tremendous value is in filling the gaps, in filling the gaps between real life offline conversations. I'll give you a very simple example. You know, I got to know John Lee Dumas. You and I have both been on the Entrepreneur on Fire podcast, uh, and he's a great guy. Yes. And we've interacted for many, many months on social media. Uh, you know, you got on the show, I got on his show, and he's got a tremendous listenership, definitely a thought leader. In fact, he just passed 60 million downloads on his podcast. Wow. Just completed his 2000th episode. You know, so he's really the poster child of what would be considered a success in monetizing and growing thought leadership specifically around the podcast genre. And I made a decision to uh, add value to him in a couple of ways. Number one, I keep an eye out for what's going on in his world. And he had a podcast that went out a few, I'm going to say a, a few weeks ago, where there was actually a technical problem on his podcast. He had a couple of minutes of dead air in the middle of his podcast. So I, at five in the morning, I sent him an email and let him know, you've, you know, you got to go fix this. And so he responded back right away, thanking me for it. And, and I mentioned in my response to him, by the way, I'm going to be in Puerto Rico. It would be great to get together. I'll have Robert Kiyosaki with me. I've got Kyle Wilson, who's also been on the show, uh, and a bunch of other folks that I think you might like to meet. So you know, fast forward, we got together in Puerto Rico uh, and it was a great time. And this is where social media can be really useful in connecting the dots for the offline conversation. And, you know, so I gave him one of Robert Kiyosaki's books and one of my books and he gave me a signed copy of the Freedom Journal and we just hung out and had a great time together. Uh, so it's, it's important to use social media to connect with other thought leaders, uh, to connect with your audience, but to connect in person in the real world. Yeah, it really is. It really, really is. And, and that's a powerful reminder for me. It's a powerful reminder for my listener because it, it, it's too easy to get caught up in being on your own, solitary, behind a computer or behind some mobile devices. And that exactly. just doesn't work. It just exactly. doesn't work. So. Victor, your new podcast is a really exciting addition to the podcast genre. Could you tell my listener about it and why they might want to listen to it? I looked at the podcasts that are out in the real estate space and I saw an awful lot of them uh, follow a very typical formula. You know, they're, once, they're a weekly podcast. Uh, they're anywhere from a half an hour to an hour in length. Uh, and when you look at the statistics for listeners – on average, listeners subscribe to six podcasts. Some are more, but the average is six. Why? Because most podcasts are weekly, and that's all the people have time for, you know, is to listen to one show a day at most. So they subscribe to six. And if you're going to be one of the six, you got to push somebody else out. Now, I saw a gap in the market, and the gap in the market is for something that is short, five minutes or less, that's daily, 
where I'm not competing for one of those six slots. Most people, when I talk to them, I can ask them, if you had a high-impact, high-quality show that was daily, that was five minutes in length, would you listen to it in addition to whatever other podcasts you currently subscribe to? And the answer was yes. So I created the Real Estate Espresso podcast specifically to fill that gap. The episodes are five minutes in length on the weekdays, and it's just me during those five minutes. And on the weekends, the weekend edition, our interview style, slightly longer, still very short. Most interviews are 10 to 12 minutes in length, and the entire episode might be 15 minutes at a maximum. And in those interviews, I'm interviewing notable people in the world of real estate investment. So was really looking to find a gap in the market that would add some value. That That's how the concept came up. So the introduction is welcome to the Real Estate Espresso podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. And that's what I say at the beginning of every single episode. I love it. That's a great tagline. How'd you come up with it? I honestly don't know. I guess organically, um, I started <laughs> just brainstorming ideas and I, and I landed on that and it felt right. And it had a good energy level to it. And in fact, I've got a coffee company that wants to sponsor the podcast now because it fits well with espresso. So, are you serious? That's amazing. Yeah, serious. <laughs> so, we'll, well, they're not a huge coffee company, but we'll start with them, and maybe we'll move on up to Starbucks. Who knows? That's awesome. I love it. That's so great. You know what? Uh, it's 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 a great title for the podcast, and it, it's powerful because you were able to get yourself some interest from sponsors. I really like it. And, you know, when it comes to real estate, Victor, what I think is really powerful is that you live and breathe this stuff. This, this yeah. is important to you. This is what you were put on this earth to do. And it, it comes across in your podcasts. You know, one of the things that I do is in the podcast, I'm really bringing forward things that are real. I'm not just bringing stuff, you know, out of a textbook. I'm bringing things that are coming out of real life. Uh, out of my own projects, out of things that I observe, you know, uh, some people call it clues in the news. Well, there are clues in the news if you're paying attention and you got to pay attention. So there are things that are happening in the marketplace that most people are blind to. And the warning signs are there if you are willing to pay attention. And, you know, by focusing and bringing a, a, a lens onto these moves and shifts in the marketplace, I think I'm adding some value. You really are. And some of the guests that you've had on your show are huge. I mean, you, you had a senior person from Fannie Mae on your show recently. Yeah, Dr. Doug Duncan. He's the chief economist and uh, senior vice president of Fannie Mae. Great guy. We've met with him a couple of times over the last year. He's got tremendous insight. And what's really cool about him, you know, when, when you look at the reports that come out, they're very sterile documents. But when you sit down with him one-on-one -on -one and ask questions, he goes three, four layers deep. He can quote... The, 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 you know, he has so much depth in his answer. He can quote any statistic because it's right there at his fingertips and just displays tremendous insight into what's happening in the marketplace. Brilliant stuff. Brilliant stuff. So, Victor, in addition to your podcast, you've written a couple of best selling books. Your latest one, Magnetic Capital, uh, is something that's really helped propel you forward as a recognized thought leader in your space. Can you talk about how, you know, the idea for uh, putting this particular book came together for you and what it's helped you accomplish in the marketplace? Magnetic Capital has really helped put me on the map for raising capital for real estate. Not only real estate, also business, but per first and foremost for real estate. And what I discovered 
is that there's a formula for raising money. And I built a little bit of intellectual property around this. Back in my days when I was in the technology industry, you know, when I was designing microprocessors and running microprocessor development teams, I, I figured out that raising money was relatively easy some of the time, and it was extraordinarily difficult a lot of the time. And when it was easy, it's because there were certain things that were present. And I figured out that there were five things, and I built some intellectual property around that. And that's really the core of the book Magnetic Capital. People who have read the book have come back to me overwhelmingly and said, wow, Victor, that was made the whole idea of raising money very accessible. It's not a textbook. It's, it's a very practical, boots-on-the-ground way of approaching it, and it made the process of raising money much more accessible. So again, it's, all, it's really all about adding value in the marketplace. And you know what? The other thing that it's done is sometimes people read the book and they say, well, you know, Victor, what you do seems kind of hard. Um, why don't I just give you my money and why don't I invest with you? And, and if there's a fit for that, that's great. That was, certainly wasn't the objective when I wrote the book, but it's been, let's say, a side effect uh, as a result of writing it. It's positioned me extremely well in the marketplace. It really has. Uh, I, I think it puts you on the map in a big way, and it's really made you uh, be seen as the thought leader that you are today. You know, Matt Church, who's someone that you and I both uh, know, says that an expert is someone who knows something, but a thought leader is someone who's known for knowing something. And I have to say, in this case, this book really helped you become known for knowing something. I, I would have to agree. And, you know, for example, I was just on the Investor Summit at Sea. And having a book, being able to speak with clarity about the topic um, sets me apart. You know, that's why I'm on stage. Even though there are people who are sitting in the audience that are every bit as qualified to be on stage as me, the fact that I've written this piece of intellectual property, that I can speak to it with clarity, um, has positioned me a little bit differently. And that's the number one reason why I'm on stage and not sitting in the audience. It is, which is awesome, which is absolutely awesome. So, Victor, we've actually come up with five pillars of thought leadership. And I'd just like to walk you through what each of these five pillars are. I'd like to get your comments on them. So the first one is you need to develop and have world-class intellectual property in order to be a thought leader. So in other words, you actually have to engage in some thinking. I mean, that's why it's called thought leadership. So what are your thoughts on this? It's absolutely true. I mean, if you look at all of the thought leaders, they've developed something that is, you know, look in the real estate space, look at Robert Kiyosaki. He has a set of intellectual property that he has been flogging for close to 20 years now. He's using that same intellectual property and it's still every bit as relevant today. You know, savers are losers. Your house is not an asset. The, you know, employee, self-employed, business leader, investor quadrants all of these different things that are the core of his intellectual property he still talks about today, even though that book's been out for 20 years. Uh, and every single thought leader that I come across has some kind of model that is very recognizable, very uh, accessible, that makes it clear what, um, how to look at the world through that different lens. Absolutely. And that's one of the things inside our programs that we do for people is we really help them take that thinking that is available to them. Do that thinking and get it out there in a structured fashion using, you know, the tools that we have, things like Matt Church's pink sheets and green sheets and positioning statements and other tools to really help them take that 
and turn it into viable IP that people will see, recognize, and say, yes, this is valuable, this can help me. And that's really important. What I found particularly valuable about that whole process, you know, I'm a fairly analytical individual, I'm fairly left brain, so I tend to think about things in fairly analytical terms. And if I only speak that language, I'm leaving half of my audience behind. And what Matt Church did and what you did through the program is taught me how to communicate with different modalities. So some people rather speak about things in stories. Some uh, some people rather speak about things uh, in, in a right brain context. Uh, so, you know, you need those different ways of communicating the same thing two or three different ways so that you can actually communicate with your entire audience. That that's very true, and 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 it's very powerful that you imbibed that message and embraced it and made it your own, because I know that when you when you were first exposed to this, you were really approaching it from an analytical point of view, but now that you're presenting your message to both left brain and right brain members of your audience, you're just reaching and engaging with way more people. Absolutely. The other thing that happens is when you go through that structured thought process, most of the questions you're going to run across are remarkably similar, Uh, whether it's in an interview context such as we're having right now or whether it's in a one-on-one conversation with, with a potential investor, whatever it is, many of the questions are going to end up being very similar. And if you've gone through that structured thought process, the answers are right at your fingertips. You're able to communicate with so much more clarity, uh, with you know much more succinctly, um, and, and have deeper, more penetrating answers when you've gone through that thought process. Yeah, that's very true and, and very well said. So the second pillar is engaging in a strategy of preeminence. And what I mean by this is that In order for you to be a thought leader, you need to be the best or at least one of the best in your field. Because if you're not, you're not going to stand out and you're not actually going to get to be a thought leader. You're going to just be like everybody else. What are your comments on that? To me, the word, the strategy of preeminence came from Jay Abraham, uh, where he talks about that in terms of uh, acting as your client's trusted advisor for life. Whether your client is an actual client or whether they're a prospective client, if you adopt that posture, it's a very different uh, perspective than trying to sell somebody something. And today, in you know, in 2018, nobody wants to be sold. I mean, we're just done with that. We are so tired of being sold. But people are willing to be educated. They are willing to uh, be exposed to educational marketing. Uh, and I believe today there's only two forms of marketing that work. Uh, number one is educational marketing, because like I said, people are willing to be educated. And number two, a little bit of buzz marketing, where people communicate excitement about their business, about what's going on, simply to be present in people's minds, but not too much, not in a look-at-me sort of way, but just to communicate excitement and be present and visible. Those are the two forms of marketing that, in my opinion, work today. And I think the strategy of preeminence ties into that where if you're taking that perspective of being uh, someone's trusted advisor, sim- you know, not looking to get anything out of a relationship, but simply to give, uh, I think you're well positioned. That's very true. That's very true. I never thought of it that way, but 
I think what you're saying about marketing is very true. Now, there are some old school ways of selling that still work. Uh, if someone's willing to get on the phone and make two or 300 uh, cold calls a day, they're still gonna get some results from it. That's why so many people still do it, but there's a lot of diminishing returns associated with that. You know, studies out there say that every 18 attempts that you make to contact someone by phone will result in a conversation. I mean, think about that. It's not the most efficient way of getting to your market. The most efficient way of getting to your market is to attract them. And the best way to attract them is by engaging in a combination of educational marketing and some buzz marketing. If you do them together and you do them well, people are really going to be interested in what you have to say. And many people are actually going to seek you out. You know, I don't cold call anybody, period, full stop. I simply don't do it. Uh, clients that work with me have almost without exception approached me first. Uh, and I think that's just a much better way. Now, It is a much better way. <laughs> You know, where do I invest? I invest in, you know, being visible. I invest in providing education and, and people approach me. Uh, and then I have the opportunity to pick and choose the clients that represent the best fit. Um, you know, there's clients I say no to because they're not a good fit. And, I, you know, just because they have money and are willing, you know, to write a check doesn't mean that they're a good client. You know, that's very true. And it's a wonderful position that you put yourself in, Victor. Well done, my friend. Well done. Okay, so the third pillar of thought leadership is clarity. It's important for you as a thought leader to have a clear message. You know, and in order to have a clear message, you need to engage some very clear thinking. You need to develop your IP, as in pillar one, and then you need to develop a message that a clear target market cares about. Could you comment on that? I think it's absolutely true, and frankly, it's been an area that for me has been a struggle because I'm one of these deeply analytical people, and I'm willing to go down and get into deep into the numbers, and that, in fact, can actually introduce an awful lot of complexity, and I know that's hurt me in terms of the clarity of my message, so I'm constantly reminding myself to simplify the message, to keep it simple, you know, really to examine hard, is this extra three or four sentences. Is it adding something or is it detracting and adding confusion? Uh, you know, I love what Don Miller says in StoryBrand, both in his podcast and in his book, his entire program, that if you confuse, you lose. And he's absolutely right. Yes. And most of the time, I err on the side of providing too much information. I know that I am constantly fighting this battle to be simpler and clearer. And uh, those that are the most successful have the simplest messages. It's absolutely true. It really is. It really is. And it's you, you must have a simple message, a powerful message, but you also need a very clear target audience. And a lot of people today, when you ask them, well, who's your target audience? They'll say, really, anybody can benefit from what I have to offer or anyone in this really wide group like women or men or divorced women or divorced men. And that's just simply not the case. Could you comment on that? You know, there was a point in time when I would accept almost anybody in the world of real estate investing as a client. And, you know, can I help a rookie investor? Of course I can. Am I the best person to do that? No, absolutely not. But if you're an established real estate investor and you maybe you have 50 units in your portfolio and you want to get to 500, 
well, I can help you do that. That's that's what I'm really good at. If you're stuck and you want to get to 500 or 5,000, I can show you the path to do that. That's my expertise. And it's not just because I've studied it academically. It's because what I do every single day. So I devote a small percentage of my time to consulting, to high-value clients. But most of my time is spent as an actual real estate developer doing the work. That's why I'm actually qualified to teach this because it's what I do. Uh, you know, there's so many people out there that put something on their business card, but they have, you know, Robert Kiyosaki calls them fake teachers. Uh, you know, if you're not actually doing it, are you really qualified to teach it? I, I'm not sure. Well, I, I think the answer is it depends. In, in, in the world of real estate investing, the answer is no, you're not. But in the world of athletics, as an example, you know, Michael Jordan needed Phil Jackson. Phil Jackson played basketball, but yeah. he wasn't a very good basketball player. You know, Larry Bird was one of the greatest basketball players of all time. And he coached for a while, and he was a decent coach, but he was no Phil Jackson, you know? Sure. Bill so, Belichick exactly. is another great example. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So I think it's important to understand the difference between coaching and mentoring. I mean, Tony Robbins talks about this a lot. A mentor is someone who's been there and done that. But a coach isn't that person. A coach is someone who can take a look at you as a performer and see into your blind spots and help you get the best performance out of yourself. He or she doesn't need to be someone who was as good or better at it. So to give you an example, I'm working with a fellow by the name of Dan Nisker, who both you and I know. Yes. When I started working with Dan, candidly, I was more successful than he was. I made more money than he did. Uh, and had a way bigger impact than he did. Today, Dan has just shot forward like a shooting star. And he's on track to make, you know, two and a half, three million dollars this year, right? I'm not going to make that kind of money this year. I'm going to do really well, but I'm the guy who's able to help Dan see what he can't see on his own so that he can get past those barriers, and get to the next level. And that's what I'm able to do for someone like Dan. So if Dan's philosophy was the philosophy of, okay, Nikki, since you're not making $20 million, I don't want to work with you, that would hurt him. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I understand that completely. I think what I'm saying is that, you know, in the world of business, there's so many things that are that are market forces. And unless you're really well connected with what's actually working in the marketplace today, then you, you're going to have a very hard time. I think the reason you can do this with authenticity is because you are actually a practitioner. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to be a practitioner in the fitness realm, uh, but you are a practitioner of business and of marketing and of connecting the dots and all of those sorts of things. If you were simply approaching it from, a, from an academic standpoint, you wouldn't be able to do it effectively, I don't think. I think you're right about that. No question about it. No question about it. So, uh, I, I, again, I think it's an important point that Robert Kiyosaki made, uh, but I think the answer is a little more nuanced than yes or no. It just really depends on the situation. Yeah. That was very powerful. I really like that. So, the fourth pillar of thought leadership is leverage. And here's one of my pet peeves. In our industry, there are so many people who only deliver their expertise in one modality. And usually it's a one-on-one -on -one modality like coaching or mentoring. 
far too many people don't take advantage of the other modalities available to them. So they don't do group work. They don't create evergreen programs through authoring. They don't write books like you have. They don't deliver speeches. Matt Church has identified six modalities of thought leadership, right? Coaching, mentoring, speaking, authoring, training, and facilitating. So he says that to be a you know, full-spectrum thought leader, you need to engage in at least four or more of these modalities of delivery. What are your comments on that? I think it's a powerful insight. You know, If you look at uh, what most thought leaders do, their intellectual property can absolutely be repackaged uh, and delivered in several different ways. And if I you know, even use myself as an example, of course, I've got the book. Uh, I am a frequent guest on radio shows and podcasts such as we're doing right now. Uh, I speak at least a couple of times a month. Uh, and of course, I have my podcast. And of course, I have a coaching and consulting business. So I have you know several different ways that I deliver this intellectual property. Oh, and I have a mastermind as well. So you know we have <laughs> several different modalities here. It's exactly like you said. Um, now, I, I don't know that I can take on too many more and still have enough hours to sleep, but but I'm able to leverage that in intellectual property uh, across those different uh, delivery vehicles. And it's really powerful that you're able to do this because I think it actually gives you more credibility with your audience. I think it does. You know, oftentimes I run into people, um, you know, at a conference and they'll walk up to me. It feels like they know me better than I know them. In fact, they do because they've heard me on a radio show or they've heard me on a podcast or they've listened to my podcast and they immediately jump into a conversation based on an episode that they heard recently. And I've got to play a little bit of catch up, number one, because I don't know them. And number two, uh, they're already in the middle of the conversation because they have that podcast episode in their head and I don't. So uh, it's it's a very interesting dynamic. Uh, I'm sure one that you've experienced as well when you run into people that uh, that maybe you don't know well. Uh, it, it is an interesting dynamic and I have experienced it. And it's, uh, you, you know, in a, in a minor way, I guess uh, it, it's what some bigger celebrities probably experience a lot when someone approaches them and says, oh, I know you, you're the host of the Thought Leader Revolution podcast. I'm like, oh, okay, who are you? <laughs> I'm one of your listeners. I really love your show. And um, it's, it, it's a wonderful thing to know that I'm reaching people that I don't know personally. It is. It is. And, you know, as I'm, for example, you know, the podcast, my podcast, Real Estate Espresso podcast, you know, we're just around episode 100 and I'm seeing the listenership grow literally day by day. And I'm looking at the statistics and that's very gratifying, but I'm also looking at the numbers saying, okay, now I'm starting to exhaust the number of people that I know directly. So these are folks that I don't know that are listening to me. So I don't know where they're coming from. I'm grateful, of course, but I, I don't know necessarily who they are. Yeah, exactly. But that means your reach is bigger. That means your impact's bigger. And that means your income's going to grow as well. That's the importance of leverage, right? Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people approach uh, things like a podcast or a video blog or what have you with the idea of using that to monetize. And, you know, I'm a big believer in what Gary Vaynerchuk says, which is, you know, if you're in a rush to monetize, you're playing the wrong game. Uh, you know, you've got to be playing the long game. This is not hunting. This is farming. And, um, you know, people that are looking for results in a 30-day or 60-day time frame are, are in the wrong order of magnitude. This is an investment in giving to the community over a protracted period of time, you know, think two, three years to build that momentum, to build that audience, to interact with that audience. Uh, and then, 
you may have a path to monetizing directly from that delivery mode. So it's a much longer game than you might expect. Yeah, I'm actually not all that interested in specifically monetizing the podcast myself. I'm interested in expanding the reach of the podcast. I want more people to listen to this. And as a result of them consuming the content and seeing the kinds of people that I get to interview, I want them to become curious about how I can help them you know, achieve the kind of exalted status that guests like you have. And in your case, it's pretty cool because you've actually been a longtime client of mine, <laughs> you know. You know, one of the things that's a, an, an unexpected benefit and side effect of having a podcast like this, like like you've had, I mean, look, you've had some pretty great guests. You know, you've had Barbara Corcoran, you've had Seth Godin, uh, Scott Adams. I mean, the list goes on and on of some pretty extraordinary people that you've had on the podcast. And uh, I'm sure that that has translated into offline activity, into it offline has. relationship building. And, you know, that that that's huge. You know, most people underestimate that as being a real benefit. You know, today I can call, for example, the chief economist of Fannie Mae and he'll answer my call. How many people it's can do cool. that? You know, I mean, like how many people can do that? That's that's pretty rare. And it's because I took the time to build a relationship offline, to interview him face to face, to hopefully ask what I think were reasonably smart questions. Uh, and and so now I have a bit of at least a beginning of a relationship. Brilliantly said, Victor. And it's very true. It's very, very true. So the final pillar, the fifth pillar, is the importance of of mentors and peers and of being in the right peer group. And as I said before, for me, it's 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 self-serving to say this because I, I run a mentorship program and I run a very powerful community of peers and a peer group program. But I believe this is critical to a thought leader. One of the things I say, I mean, at the immersion that we did in January that you were at where we honored you for hitting black belt, um, we said, hashtag don't do 2018 alone. And people in our industry, unfortunately, as we talked about earlier in this interview, far too often are trying to do things alone. Well, if you've got mentors, if you've got a great community of peers, it just makes your journey so much smoother, so much easier, and so much more rewarding. What are your comments on that? It's so critical. You know, like we said at the very beginning, getting into the right environment. You know, if you think about, for example, my mastermind, you know, I have a mastermind with one of the most brilliant people in the world of real estate development. You know, he's been in business for 60 years. He just turned 90 years of age. He's done more deals in New York City than virtually anyone else alive today. Uh, he's done deals in the billions of dollars. And I have a mastermind with this guy. And we had 25, you know, for example, last month, we had 25 people on the call asking questions about negotiation, about legal, about zoning, about all kinds of things that as a real estate investor, as a real estate developer, uh, you're going to be concerned about. And here we are getting this gold from this man of just tremendous, tremendous wisdom. Uh, and, you know, where else can you get that? You can't buy that. And yet here I am chairing a call with one of the most brilliant people uh, in the world of real estate investing with 25 other investors and developers. I mean, that's absolute gold. And do this every month, my goodness. It is. It's gold for you. I mean, you get to learn from this man, but it's also gold for your clients because they get to learn from you and this man. And that's going to allow them to take that into their business and be that much more impactful, that much more successful. 
exactly, exactly. And you know, you you were a part of uh, one of my coaching programs and one of my peer group programs, and that's what that group allowed for you. I remember I was watching actually a video testimonial that you recorded for us. And some of the things that you said in there, you, you talked about how this helped sharpen your thinking and sharpen your ability as a salesperson. And Victor, when I met you, you were a very sharp thinker, but I wouldn't have called you the most powerful salesperson I ever met. Not and I think at all. You, you'd probably agree <laughs> no. with me at that point. <laughs> Absolutely. But in less than a year, that completely turned around from being around the right people, learning from people like myself, like Mark von Muser, who's an absolute guru when it comes to selling, as well as your fellow peers in the group. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm glad you mentioned Mark. Here's someone who really gets how to, you know, bring the right perspective and energy. And, you know, we often talk about content when we're talking about uh, a particular subject. And in fact, that's rarely where the power is. It's usually in the reframe that comes by changing context. Uh, and that's one of the things that both you and Mark have, have brought is that reframe that comes by changing the context. And when you do, you know, I'll give you a very simple example. One of the things that I teach people when it comes to raising capital, you know, most people are very uncomfortable in asking for money. And so I say, great, don't ask for money. If you have a compelling opportunity and you have a, a relationship that you value, it would in fact be disloyal not to offer them the opportunity to participate in that, pro in that project. So if you reframe, you change the context to, from asking for money to how would you like to participate in this project? How would you like to collaborate with me on a project? I think it'll be fun. We could potentially make a lot of money together. That's a completely different perspective and it's a different context. And it's with those reframes that that's where, that's where you get the breakthroughs. What a brilliant reframe from asking for money, which can feel yucky, to loyalty to a friend, which can feel ennobling. Exactly. No, brilliantly said. So, Victor, we like to end off every podcast by asking you, our guests, what are your top three expert action steps that you recommend our listener take on in their life and their business to take both to the next level? So, what say you? Number one, I would say when you are establishing goals, don't focus on attainment goals. Attainment goals are things like, I want to make $100,000 by the end of the quarter. Those are attainment goals. And you're much better off focusing on habituation or habit-forming goals. And it's in those habit-forming goals that you're going to achieve those actual attainment goals. That's what you should focus on is informing the habits. So for example, when I made the decision to launch the podcast, I decided not to do one a week or one a month. I decided to do it daily because I knew the only way I was going to get good at this is if I do it daily. And if I compare the quality of the podcast that I'm putting out today compared with the first few episodes, I mean, the first few episodes were not bad, but boy, what a difference. It's so much crisper, so much clearer, so much more fluid today. And I'm only a hundred days in, but now I've had the practice of doing this day in, day out for a hundred days. And whatever you do, immerse yourself in it, get really good at it, form those habits. That would be number one. Number two, we talked about it several times in this episode. Get yourself in the right environment. If you, you know, put together a list of 50 people that you want to develop relationships with, folks that are not currently part of your circle, and some of them could be big names. 
doesn't matter. You may think of these people as being inaccessible. And the truth is they're not inaccessible. In fact, there were probably opportunities that you were missing uh, to connect with these people, but they were never on your radar because you considered it impossible. You start to put those on, on your list of folks that you want to build relationships with. And those opportunities that have been there all along will all of a sudden come into focus. It's a little bit like the law of attraction. If you if you will it, it will manifest. Well, if you write it down and you you focus on it, it will manifest. Not Not through any kind of hocus pocus or magic. It's because those opportunities will now become visible to you. Brilliant. And number three, um, take the reading lists from the thought leaders in the marketplace that you respect the most and read what they're reading. Uh, And I would encourage you to read in a slightly different way. If you have a few peers that you want to develop a relationship with, consider doing a book study. Take a book like, for example, uh, Turning Pro by Stephen Pressfield. What if you did a book study on Turning Pro with four or five other entrepreneurs? So you read it not just for the sake of reading it like you would read a romance novel, but you actually read it and study it and communicate with your peers on what that means. Wow, what a much more powerful way to consume that content and internalize it. So I'm I'm a big fan of book studies and not something you're going to do every week necessarily, but do a few of those a year and uh, that'll be game changing for you. I love that. I've never thought of that, but I'm going to do that. You know what? I'm going to actually institute that inside eCircle Academy for our members, and I'm going to pick a few peers, people I respect, and bring some books out. And I think Turning Pro is a great one to start with, but there's some other ones I have in mind as well. Those are three kick-ass expert action steps, Victor. Thank you. You're welcome. So, listener, if you're listening to this, Victor's given you gold. And what you need to do is you need to go and subscribe to the Real Estate Espresso podcast. Even if real estate investing isn't really your thing, this man is a deep thinker. You can learn a lot from him. If real estate investing is your thing, you should definitely subscribe to the podcast. And if you have friends or family that are into real estate investing, you need to tell them about this podcast. And I think it's brilliant that he does his episodes in the way that he does in that they're five minutes, no longer on weekdays and 10 to 12 minutes on weekends. This is a great way to do a podcast. And this is a fabulous podcast. And you should also pick up a copy of his book, Magnetic Capital for Yourself. And you should pick up 10 copies to give away to your friends and family and to your best clients because everyone in business at one point or another is going to need to learn how to raise money. It's an important skill and there's nobody better at it than the great Victor Minash. Well, thank you. That's very kind, Nikki. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's the truth. And listener, if you're wondering to yourself, do I have what it takes to be the Victor Minash of my niche or niche, if you're one of my American listeners. Is my intellectual property worth something? Is it able to create a big impact in the world? Is it able to create great income for me? These are great questions. And the best way to get an answer to them is to go and schedule a trial call with myself or a member of my team. And the way to schedule this trial call is to go to eCircleAcademy.com 
forward slash appointment. This trial breakthrough call is going to help you understand what your IP is and what it can be worth in terms of both impact and income in the marketplace. So I encourage you to take advantage of that. And Victor, I got to say, it's been a real honor having you back on the show again. Really enjoyed this. Love to have you back on again in the future. Once you've done maybe your 200th or 300th episode, I think that'll be a good time to check in with you again. It's been really, really terrific. It's been a lot of fun, Nikki. Awesome. And that wraps up another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. To find out more about our amazing guest, Victor Minaj, go to the show notes at thethoughtleaderrevolution.com. And if you're interested in getting rid of the chattering monkeys in your head, getting rid of that fear that's choking off that beautiful, amazing, bright, shining dream that you have, you want to jump on to a call with us, a trial breakthrough call, And to do that, go to ecircleacademy.com forward slash appointment. Until next time, goodbye.